your Bibles, we will be looking at Matthew 7, verses 12 through 27. We'll pray for the Spirit's guidance. Our Lord and our God, as we come before you today, a body of believers, I just pray for a, a, a measure of maturity that we didn't have when we came here. Let your Holy Spirit engage our minds and our hearts, Lord. I pray, O oh Lord, the words that I say, I represent you properly. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 7, starting in verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree, bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then when will I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded in the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You may be seated. The Christian life is a struggle. I just read, and those who enter by it are many for the ease, the path to hell. It's easy to take the road to hell. Just go with the flow, go with the many, and usually you will end up in hell. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now these are the words of Jesus. The gate is narrow and the way is hard. 
Notice he doesn't say, believe in me and everything will be a cakewalk, it'll be easy, you'll just skate through life. It's the complete opposite. The complete opposite. Like I mentioned earlier, before the Advent season, I started a, a series, and I guess maybe it would be the middle church, the church at Calvin's time, because we, looked, we finished Acts, and we saw the, the church at that time going through struggles, difficulties, and we saw as we went through that book that it was in different cultures, different governments, different rulers, ways of ruling. And in every one of them, the church had difficulties. Difficulties with the established church, which Jesus said was the church of Satan. Those words, not mine. The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. Jesus said, you're doing my father's, your father's will. Satan. They were against the Rome, Romans, the Greeks. What we saw was difficulty. Difficulty in everywhere they went. Paul was beaten, stoned, threatened. But the church was growing. The church was being established in spite of the difficulties. People were coming to know Jesus Christ. And it was beyond human effort. Christ is building his church using us. It would not be built if Christ did not build it. The church has always been up against unbelievable odds, unwinnable odds, if it was left up to us. But it's not just us, it's us and the Holy Spirit working through us. Christianity grew in Rome, and Rome declined. The Roman Empire was declining. And in 1313, the Roman Emperor Constantine the Great, he ended all hostilities with the Christians. He recognized it was an unbeatable force. And later on that century, they declared Christianity as the church, the church of Rome, the religion of Rome. And Christianity did grow, it exploded then. In the Roman Empire that time, it was 40 to 90 million people. It was indeed a blessing for the church. Now, the ending of the Roman Empire is disputed. Like any ending of any great nation, setting an exact date is difficult because at the height of the Roman Empire, it was great. As it declined more and more, it wasn't so great. So where do you set the date? I, in studying for this, I came up with this. This is uh, what I found. And I think this is a good writing. It's not mine. 
I'll let you decide when you think it ended, but it says historians cannot agree on a single date or event that resulted in the final decline of the Roman Empire. This empire faced external and internal forces over various centuries that gradually changed its original framework until the Roman Empire that once existed could no no longer be considered the same. When pushed for a specific date, however, most historians cite 47-6 AD as the year the formal Roman Empire ceased to exist, exist. This year is when the eastern half of the territory officially became the Bezanite Empire. Despite this generally accepted notion, other experts believe the empire fell during the following years, around 406 AD, when the empire faced war, disease, and economic failure. 410 AD, when the Visigoths evaded. 480 AD, when the last Western Roman Empire died. And even as late as 1453 AD, when the Ottoman Empire conquered the Byzantine Empire. Now, the Roman Empire hung on and existed, but it was in decline. You decide when it officially ended. What we do know is when John Calvin came onto the scene, the highest ruling power was the king of Rome. He was considered the empire. And he was aligned with the Catholic Church. However, there are other kings and territories, like in Germany, England. So there are lesser kings. And the empire consisted of who aligned themselves with the Roman king. Some nations did. They were protected by the Roman army then, the army of Rome. Others didn't, so they were at war with Rome, or they made treaties with Rome where they weren't actually fighting, but they weren't going to protect those little kingdoms. And many of these kingdoms banded together to form bigger armies to prevent war with Rome. And there was war. Remember, in 1313, the Roman Empire constantly the great ended all hostilities with the true Christian church. Now that was good, but it wasn't perfect. Because part of this message is I want us to realize the waters we swim in influence us. Our lives in America influenced us from Birth on, our culture, our government, our families, they influenced us. Just like it influenced the people of this time, everything was top down. The kings, the Roman Catholic Church ruled much of this. And that's what they grew up in. That's what people were used to. So even in the new church, the new Christian church, 
was birthed in that, and they tried to form that Christian church at that time into what they knew, what they understood, a top-down religion. And in 590, Pope Gregory, he amassed a great military force and political power, and they influenced from the top down with the power of the sword how people should behave. So this was church rule with the political parties or the political parties with the church. And when you have this, it turns into dictatorships. Tyrants. The first thing tyrants do is they don't want opposition. And how you get opposition is by being, let, having let the people be informed. So the scriptures were kind of forbidden for the common man. The church elite, the church officials would tell you what God wanted from you. And this brought forth a lot of unbiblical teachings like relic worship, the selling of relics, indulgences to get people out of purgatory. It was much like the church when Jesus came. The Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they had power and they wanted to keep it. Money and power. And I mentioned some of these high priests had their own hitmen who would knock people off they were a threat to him. And this was the same thing that was happening here. Anything that threatened the church of Rome, anybody, I mean, I think 900 or more were burned at the stake. It was brutal. It was cruel. And of course, they love the money. And usually it's always at the expense of the common man where the money is extracted from. That's the culture young Calvin was growing up in. That's the culture that influenced him, a top-down religion. That's the culture that Martin Luther grew up in. Luther was part of the church, Calvin was not. And it went all the way down to the common man. If you wanted to advance in that culture, you had to align yourself with the church to go to school. You were taught what they wanted to teach you. You could not challenge. Remember, the scriptures and the truths were suppressed. And if you were a student, you could not argue with the teachers or go against them, because the teachers would not recommend you to continue on to higher education. You're considered a rebel. You had to walk lockstep with the church, with the governing officials. No criticism. You had to have your approval by the Pope or the emperors 
or the emperors and the pope, whichever way you wanted to phrase it. It was one and the same. So there was great turmoil. There were wars. There was a 113-year war between France and England. But also there was light. There was light. There's always an element of truth. God gives us freedom. Our freedoms come from God. And even in these turmoil times, there were groups of people elected to represent the people. And yeah, just like today, they were, many of them were corrupted. But there still was that element of truth where you could challenge the authority through the local magistrates at times. The reason I'm bringing this all up is I want us to realize that it is a norm for the church to go through struggles and difficulties. The church has always been the outsider. Challenging the culture, challenging the authority figures. But it's from the bottom up. It's from each saint. Until the saints, the church, influences the culture. Fortunately for young Calvin, his dad rubbed shoulders with the correct elite people and Calvin received barrels of wheat for his education. That came from the church, extracted from the farmers, the poor farmers. So Calvin benefited even from the corruption where you take from the poor and give it to the ones that you elect and say, yeah, we'll raise this guy up. They were the chosen ones as long as their allegiance stayed to the ruling authorities, the church and the state. You were not told much about Calvin's life, but this one quote that I mentioned in the last sermon, I think is just such a good quote for parents and for children. Calvin talking about his young life, commenting on his own upbringing, he said, A childhood is traversed with the guidance of parents, teachers, and masters. Without authority and discipline, childish ways distort character, a perversion not easily remedied in later life. I think we live in that time where many in our day don't discipline their children, don't expect much from their children. And then they wonder why they're living in their basements at 30 years old. Because they've never been taught to be adults. Same as the time of Calvin. But it gives the nature of man. Man loves the easy way out. That's why it says the road to hell is easy and wide. Men like taking the easy way. They can get by, have a good life, not make waves. They prefer that. Many cling to their childish fantasies their whole life or in the mid-age. 
where they should be contributors to society, they're still takers. And as long as they get what they want, they're satisfied. I mentioned this before. One guy I worked with, he summed it up perfectly. He said, as long as I have enough for beer and cigarettes at the end of the week, I don't care what else happens in the world. That was his eschatology. But you know what? This conflict is always bringing a purity to the church. It's inevitable. It brings forth great leaders. God will always have his men stepping in. Remember, the church was lost. The true church was lost through this era. So now it had to be reestablished, retaught. It started with Martin Luther challenging the church. It spread. Spread from Germany to France. But also we have to understand God is the author of history. God is working in history. And this was the time of the invention of the printing press. Without the printing press, there would not have been a successful reformation at that time. And it's very simple. It's because the scriptures, God's truth, got into the hands of the people again. A good lesson to remember. Tyrants, dictators, never want debate. They always want to suppress the truth. Is there any of that going on today in our nation? Open discussion brings forth liberty and freedom and truth, biblical truth. We did look at Calvin's early education. He was an excellent student, long hours. But he studied secular history. Secular men. But he obtained great knowledge. God uses all men in our lives. Before we're believers, God uses the instructors we had. Good or bad, believers or not, God uses all men to advance his kingdom. Just remember that. God reigns over all, and he will use all men. He uses our past, our sinful past, the things we learn from non-believers and believers to mature us as saints. And again, Calvin was used to emperors, kings. These are the struggles he had to work through when he became a believer. Just like we have to work through the waters we swim in and say, how polluted did we get? And there are no perfectly pure waters on earth. But we as believers must try and strive for the truth. 
and set aside our biases, our cultural beliefs, the things we're used to. Well, this is how we've always done it. And seek out God's will and His truth. The culture we live in has great influence over us. The more you study history, the more you see it. History repeats itself. And at Calvin's time, just like ours, there was great tension. Again, that tension is good. Our minds are being challenged. God is challenging us to mature. And I want us to have these tensions, these struggles. Because we are to be the culture carriers at this time of history. The more mature we are as believers, the more effective we'll be as the church to reform our culture into a biblical culture. We may have to question many areas of our lives. But it should always be, how should I glorify God? Being saved is not the end, it is the beginning. It's the beginning. These are the questions Calvin faced after his his conversion. You know, in 1530, Calvin bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, and here are his words, what he said. God, by a sudden conversion, subdued and brought my mind to a teachable frame, which was more hardened in such a matter, matters that might have been expected from one of my early periods of life. Having thus received some taste and knowledge of true godliness, I was immediately inflamed with so intense a desire to make progress therein that although I did not altogether leave off all other studies, yet pursued them with less ardor. What he's saying is, after his conversion, he said, what now? What now? What do I do now? What does God demand of me? Are these things I've been studying my whole life that important? Are these things I've been doing with my whole life, is it that important? Or do I shake those off and seek what God wants from me? Again, for many believers in the church who grew up in the church, this transition may not be that noticeable. Over time, you just go through the progression of a true believer in a church. Taking on different ministries, becoming deacons, elders. But for Calvin and many others, 
It is more noticeable. They're changing completely. They didn't have faith. They didn't have true faith. Remember what Calvin said, having thus received some taste and knowledge of true godliness. I was immediately inflamed with so intense a desire to make progress therein. What he's saying is, what now do I do, God? Where do I take this new faith? How do I mature in it? But he did, he's recognizing the sanctification progress. And that must be in all of us. Whether we were raised in the church or new converts. Our priorities must change. We must say, must say, God, what do you want from me? How do you want me to mature? How can I glorify you more in my life? Notice what he said at the end. That although I did not altogether leave off all other studies, yet pursued them with less ardor. He backed off from his other studies. He changed his studies. He studied the church fathers instead of so many of the non-believers, the Senecas and the other historians. Kelvin was a work in progress, just like we are. And he who started a good work in Kelvin, just like he who started a good work in us, will complete it in spite of the waters we are swimming in in spite of the pollutions we have observed or absorbed. And I believe these cultural impacts on us are probably the greatest impediments for our growth, the greatest influence in our lives, especially when you grew up with it. If you're taught error from your family, friends, It's hard to go against that. You're the oddball. You're the fanatic. Just go with the flow. Just let's all just get along. The thing is we have to have that tension, that growth, that maturity. And we will err. That's one thing we see, even in these great founders, these great reformers. They were not perfect men. They made mistakes. Their pride got in their way. Their youthful desires to be right. They offended others, even with the truth at times, because they're so abrasive with it. But their heart was for God, and God used them. Sanctification is not easy. Struggles, trials, difficulties... In life are not easy. They are a blessing from God. They are a necessary blessing from God. Difficulties in the church. Infighting in the churches. You know, the classes we belong through, they they say, yeah, those are the ones that are always raising the flags. We're just sick of them. They're always standing against something. That's a good thing. The scriptures say it's a good thing. In 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, But in the following instructions, I do not command you, because when you 
come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Now this is, he's talking, this Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. And they're a mess. But notice, he still calls them the church. He still recognizes them that they're the church. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And he says, I believe it in part. He says, I know there's divisions. I believe it. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. There must be factions among you. And we go along with that when Jesus said there will be wolves in sheep's clothing that come into the church. He's saying there will be turmoil, there will be factions. There will be difficulties, there will be these trials where men are striving for the truth. And because truth will not live with a lie, there will be factions, tensions, difficulties. Expect it. That is a church. That is life. Don't wring your hands and say, God's going to rapture us up because it's so difficult. It won't happen. God will not leave his throne. He will not take the saints off this earth and leave Satan rule, not for a second. And we fight against the pietistic movement, which goes way back, all the way to the time of Calvin, That, oh, we can't be involved in government. We can't be involved in this. That's ungodly. That's baloney. Our God is a God of all. The kings will kiss the sun. He rules in all. If we retreat as the church, it's on us, not on God. We're the cowards. We backed off. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Are you genuine? We must be genuine to stand for the truth because tension brings forth truth. Kelvin fought against this, against the Libertines, one of the factions of that day. And I'm going to leave you with his quotes that for that. For the appearance of troubles among Christians or of any false teaching provides an occasion for discovering how and with what affection those who are called Christians have received the word. For some steadfastly persevering to the truth of God's word as declared to us demonstrates through experience that it has taken living root in their hearts, while others allowing themselves easily to be seduced and tossed about here and there by every wind, show how their inconsistency that they have never received it except in a thoughtless manner. What he's saying is how we stand for the truth demonstrates how deep our Christian commitment. How willing we are to have tension even among those we love 
is a demonstration of how much we love our God. Unfortunately, at the time Calvin wrote that, he had matured in faith and realized that even weaker brothers are still our brothers. He was not as abrasive when he was, as he was when he was younger. But the thing is, we must stand for the truth and let the chips fall. We must shed the cultural influences that are unbiblical, that leave us in a comfort zone that is not pleasing to God. We live in a time of turmoil in our nation, and I don't believe it will get better much soon. So are we going to rely on Jesus Christ and his truths, or are we going to be tossed by all the political garbage that is around us? The commitment is what you have to make. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, as we study history, which is a tool to learn from, and church history, we see that there is turmoil, there is tension, there is difficulties. But you have overcome the world, Lord, and you overcome it through saints, through sinful men. You've used sinful men all throughout history to advance your kingdom because it's supernatural. Your church is supernatural. It's built by you. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let us rest in that promise and let us be true to you in Jesus' name. Amen.